Are you a happy person? Do you think of yourself as, you know, a, a happy-go-lucky optimist, or are you maybe more cynical, or maybe even more severe? Are you a pessimist? Is that cup we always talk about? Is it, is it half full, or is it half empty to you? If you don't have an answer for me right now, and this is bothering you, you can hop on Google and type in "Am I a happy person?" quiz. Hit enter, and for me, it took. I think Google said 0.43 seconds, and it had 11 million results plus maybe a couple hundred extra thousand here there. Not all of those are tests, but a good number of them were. It's kind of a big deal to people. People talk about this. And now that my computer saw that I searched for that, my computer thinks I'm worried about it, and my Facebook feed and my Google ads filled up with articles about the eight things that a happy person does every morning, or the ten things that happy people don't let bother them ever. A big deal. People are talking about it, right? But today, whether or not you're a happy person or think of yourself as a happy person or not, isn't that important? Because you're a joyful person. All Christians are. Maybe not in the way you might think at first, but Paul's going to explain it for us. A few weeks ago, we talked about how. Um, important it is for Christians to live in harmony with one another. And this is something that doesn't come natural for us, right? But it does come natural when we live in joy. And Paul's lesson for us today is to live in joy. He writes, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. We live in constant joy because we know what God did for us. We know what Jesus did up on that cross. He took all of our sin and our guilt away from us. I know this is backwards from how most sermons go. Usually I talk about the law and then the gospel, right? But today, we remember what Jesus did for us. He loves us. He made us right with Him. And He set that prize for us in heaven. Eternal life, perfection, that's ours. We know that. So we can be joyful even when bad things happen. And bad things are going to happen. They're going to continue to happen on earth. And we're going to continue to be sad about things, but through all that sadness and through all the happiness that we have on earth too, we still have that joy as our foundation. And that's what Paul's talking about. He's going to show us how it fills our lives. It fills our lives in a bunch of areas. That joy fills our lives in our relationships with other believers. It fills our lives in our relationships with all people, believers or unbelievers. It fills our relationship with God. And it fills our own hearts and minds too. So again, that harmony is important and it's a natural thing when we're living in joy. Unfortunately, a couple of these Philippian women had lost sight of that joy. They had let a disagreement come between them and, and rob them of that joy. So Paul writes to them, he says, I plead with Oyodia and I plead with Syntyche to agree with each other in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, to help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. So no one's sure what these women disagreed on. Paul doesn't think it's necessary to say. Certainly the Philippians would have known. Rome is about 1,300 kilometers from Philippi. That's a long way for news to travel. 
light news doesn't travel that far. So Paul knew what was going on. They knew what was going on. And he didn't feel like he needed to waste time or energy bringing that all up again. And this must have been going on for quite some time as well because, again, that long journey, some messenger had to walk or sail or ride that whole way. And then Paul figured it was still worth it to write out a letter and have someone carry that letter by hand all the way back to them. So this was an ongoing thing and it was something that maybe wasn't going to get better on its own. Either way, these women let something fester that shouldn't have, have festered. This harmony is important today, too. Again, there's really not much that can take away the joy that we have as believers or disrupt the church as much as disagreements between our own people. That's why the devil tries so hard to get it to happen. If he wants to get you to be selfish or if he wants to let something like this, a disagreement, come between you, he's going to try his best. So it's important for us today, too, to live in joy so that issues like this don't grow. So let's look how Paul deals with this. First, remember he says, I plead with Oyodia and I plead with Syntyche. That word plead, he repeats twice. He's not picking sides. In fact, he's doing exactly the opposite. He's not saying, I plead with Oyodia and Syntyche, or, or the other way around. He's not saying he pleads with one any more than the other. He actually repeats his word twice. It sounds kind of silly. That's how intent he is on not picking sides. And who knows? Maybe one of these women was in the right. Maybe one of them was in the wrong. Either way, Paul's not picking sides, and he's not bringing up either what, what happened. He doesn't want to drag them through the mud. Think how much that would maybe hurt them. Remember, Paul's their, their big spiritual leader. He, he means a lot to them. They hang on every word he has. So if he is going to tear these two women apart over something that they've done, it's going to cut deep. And Paul doesn't think that that's the right answer. He doesn't drag them through the mud. He doesn't question their motives either. He says, these are women who worked hard with me. They worked hard together with me in my mission. And then that little phrase at the end, he wants them to agree together, in the Lord. That little phrase reminds Oyodia and Syntyche, these women, that even though they don't see eye to eye right now, even though they're having this, this turmoil between them, they're on the same team. They're both in the Lord. They both work together with Paul in the Lord. This is their common ground. So he's trying to find that. And then finally he gets this fellow yoke, yoke fellow guy to help out too. And whoever this was, it was someone who had also worked with Paul. It's someone who had respect in the church. And it's someone Paul saw as, as qualified to help these women through their problem. So when this, this trouble comes up, Paul handles it in just about the most joyful way possible, right? He doesn't focus on all the negatives that happen. Instead, he turns everything forward, looks to the positive, looks at what they can be joyful about, and focuses them on that. And that's what joy looks like in our lives with each other. We live in harmony. We don't let things come between us. So it's important for us to live in harmony with other brothers and sisters, and that, and that joy we have if, when it's filling our lives that's 
how things will just be. But it's not just with fellow believers that, that joy affects our relationships. Paul writes, Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. So this gentleness isn't applied to just each other. It's not applied to just people you like. It's applied to all people. It's kind of a, it seems like a no-brainer, right? Be nice to people. But I think gentleness is something that goes out the window right after joy goes out the window too. When we look at the world, it's easy for us to say, what a mess. I'm not fighting you. It is a mess out there. And I'm not just talking about Ebola or ISIS or the economy or anything like that. Basic morality has gone out the window, right? It's easy to see that. It's easy to get discouraged. And it's easy for us to even start to think, you know, God, you did a lot for us, but maybe you didn't do enough. Look how bad things are getting. Easy for us to get a little bitter. As humans, we're problem solvers, right? We see a problem and we just want to attack it and fix it. So when you see someone doing something that you know is wrong, is our gut reaction to be gentle or do we just want to pounce on them? How easy is it to condemn that person you see and you know they drink too much? It's so easy to condemn them. Or what about that person who lives promiscuously? Or how easy is it to jump on and condemn someone who's living a homosexual lifestyle? easy. That gentleness flies right out the window for us. God's not saying that these aren't condemnable things. They sure are. And he's not saying that he wants us to just say, they don't know any better. It's okay for them. Because it's not. But he doesn't want us to be harsh with them. Even with people we don't see eye to eye with, even with people who are doing things we know are wrong, God expects gentleness. And when we have joy in our life, that gentleness will show. And the cool thing is, when that gentleness is showing, people know it's not coming from normal things. It's, it's coming from something else that's inside us. It's coming from that joy. And that joy keeps us from being unnecessarily attacked. Keeps, keeps people from maybe thinking we're hateful. And even more important, it can perk people's interest in, in what we have to say about but what God has to say to them. So, joy fills our lives with other believers, so we live in harmony. It fills our lives with everyone, so that we're gentle with everyone, despite, of, despite any disagreements, despite um, religious beliefs, despite anything, gentleness shows. But that's not the only relationship. Our relationships with other people aren't the only relationships that joy fills. It fills our relationship with God, as well. Paul tells us, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So, the key to fighting anxiety is prayer, right? You're worried about something, take it to the Lord in prayer. And when Paul talks about prayer, he very, very often talks about thankfulness as well. Thankfulness is, is one of the big parts of prayer. So is, so is um, perseverance. 
But those are a couple of things that go out the window pretty quick when we, when we face hard times. By nature, we're not grateful. And when we pray for something and don't get exactly what we want, it's easy for us to get discouraged and say, uh, it doesn't do anything anyway, I'm not going to do it, it's not worth it. Or I'm not getting what I want right away, so I'm going to just stop asking God for it. That's not what God wants, though. And we know what he's done for us. We know that he's always there for us. We know that, like Paul said earlier, he's near. The Lord is near. That's good news for us, and it's bad news, right? The bad news is the Lord is near. We're supposed to live up to Christ's example, or Paul's, and and that's not easy, actually. It's impossible, right? The Lord is near. We don't want to get caught red-handed doing the wrong thing when He comes. But the Lord is near. It's hard here. But He's he's nearby, and He's coming soon to, to make it better for us to make everything perfect for us. He's coming soon to give us that prize that He's won for us. So in prayer, we know that we can take our troubles, we can take our heaviest troubles and lay them in the capable hands of God. And we know that He'll listen because He loves us. And in joy, that's what we do. Because, think about it, He's already done the most amazing thing Ever for us. When you think about that, you can't help but be joyful, and then everything else kind of falls into place, right? If you don't get what you ask for right away when you pray, you understand God's already done this for you. He loves you so much. Maybe what you're asking for isn't the best for you. And your joy doesn't go away. So joy fills all of our relationships. It fills our relationships with each other, with unbelievers, with God himself. But it fills our hearts as well. Paul finishes, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, Put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. So having your heart set on wholesome things is the final step. God wants our minds to be a place where this joy can grow. He wants it to be good soil. There are a lot of places we look for happiness in the world, right? Or entertainment. And you know what? A lot of them are really good. They're great blessings from God. Some of them, on the other hand, are downright sinful. We have no business there. And then some are in that middle ground where it doesn't, it doesn't really help, it doesn't really hurt, it's just okay. How often are our minds where they should be, though? A lot of times we slip into that middle area where it's not helping us, so it's not bad, that's okay, but then we slip even further and we're, we're down in we're down in that sinful area. There are a lot of things that can rob us of the joy that we have in, in Jesus. Maybe it's, maybe it's hardship at work. Maybe it's something going on at school that's, that's hard to handle. 
Maybe it's a relationship that's not going well. Maybe it's even guilt over a sin that you've committed. Guilt is a, a natural and healthy response to something that you've done wrong, but when we dwell on it, even, even guilt, something we're supposed to feel, can take away the joy that, that is supposed to cover that guilt. It says more joy than guilt right there, right? So when we focus on the cross, when we focus on what God has done, we're joyful. And the cool thing is, when we're joyful, our minds naturally will tend to go to things that, that please God. Those things that meet these qualifications that Paul talked about. And there's a lot of great things that you can focus on. Of course, God's Word is the number one thing that fits every single one of those categories perfectly, right? There are a lot of other worthwhile things as well. And when we're joyful, we're in those things. And the cool thing is, when we're in those things, it increases our capability to be joyful. It's a, it's a circle, right? And that's one of the greatest things that we have, that God has, God has done all this for us so that we can be confident and joyful despite what happens in our lives. So instead of worrying about the ten things that a happy person does every morning, or worrying about the eight things that happy people never let bother them, here's this, the one thing that joyful people do. Believe in God. That's what we get. That's where we get our joy from. Remember, God is near. He's coming soon, so be joyful in your interactions with your brothers and sisters in faith. Be joyful in your interactions with everyone out that door. Be joyful when you pray to God. Pray to God with thanksgiving. What better time of year to think about that than thanksgiving? And always keep that joy in your heart. Keep your joy something that will grow. And like Paul said, the God of peace will be with you. The God who made peace with people who did everything bad. And that peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.